Good morning, and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz. It is I, Jackson Roberts. Very sick today, but it's still I. And it is he, Kale Clinton, in the dark, but still him if you look closely enough. We are in top form right now, ready to record a Sunday night podcast, clearly. That we are. Uh, I can't see out of one eye. Slept in the contact. Had a family Christmas party last night that I'm still recovering from. We are in tip-top shape. <laughs> and it was a, it was nice to just have a relaxing, kind of mild NFL Sunday. Yes. Great point, Kale. Nothing happened of note that I can think of off the top of my head, especially not to any of our favorite teams. Just a very relaxing, reassuring NFL Sunday. Uh, and I think we can just break it down in a very level-headed manner today. I listen honestly, no exciting endings around the NFL at all. The, the one o'clock slate, the Sunday night game, the four o'clock slate, a lot of like milk toast football. I agree, but we have a duty to the people, and our duty is to break it down. So we'll do so and make it as entertaining as we can for you because we know that you expect us to make a boring Sunday exciting. Thank you for tuning in. Now we begin. The American Football Conference, Kale. Uh, We're just going to kind of do a roundup today of uh, playoffs and playoff seedings and what all happened, who's up, who's down. I'll tell you what. There's some teams that are up. The Bills clinch. A playoff spot. They actually clinched the AFC East as well. The Chiefs clinched the AFC West. Good job there. The Cincinnati Bengals, a big winner from today, leapfrogging the Baltimore Ravens after their loss Saturday night. And the LA Chargers, Kale, benefiting from, shall we say, some other teams' failures, uh, really seizing control of that AFC seven seed. So what stands out to you most out of those, and, and where should we start here? Yeah, uh Kansas City nearly didn't clinch their division. They didn't, yeah, yeah. Almost almost came very close to losing to a Houston Texans team that's just full of a bunch of scrappy guys. <laughs> Real great. Uh, I Bill's locking it up, getting the job done there. Offense not as totally tepid as people would say. Great aesthetic to a football game, as always, having – snow come down so that's a nice way to clinch it i'm very excited about these Bengals and chargers uh Bengals really know how to just turn it on uh on the spot uh impressive i i think ben baldwin posted their win uh probability graphic and just called it the cincinnati avalanche because it's just a wave they went from i think below 20% win probability to above 90% win probability, and it just cascades on down. Chargers pulling it off. This was not a team that looks like a competent playoff football team until I'd say two weeks ago. I'd say the Miami game. Like, they flipped a little bit of a switch. Yeah, I mean, they lost to the Raiders. <laughs> like I know. We were, we were, we were just – 
absolutely done on the Chargers a couple weeks ago. Uh, and yeah, Miami game did flip it, but honestly, they were not impressive today either. But seven teams got to make the playoffs. And I think uh, one of the teams that has Justin Herbert should probably be there. I'm excited about the potential of an all good quarterbacks playoff where if we get a wild card trio of second place AFC North, the Los Angeles Chargers, and I'd say the Dolphins in this case, with Jacksonville winning their division, we could have an all good quarterbacks playoff bracket that would make for a fantastic playoff slate, especially that wild card weekend game, just having six competent quarterbacks, knowing that there's no, there's no fat to be lost. Like there's no fat to be had. There's no like, Oh, this is a good, this is like a good defense. that got them overperforming and they've got a good run game, but like the quarterback's weak, they don't have a pass game. Like this would at least be like all showtime, all entertainment. Like that would be fascinating to me. Well, that's a, crazy thing about the league right now and you highlighted it there but we would have said that during the offseason as well I think most of the good young quarterbacks are all in the AFC which is a weird dilemma as a league when you have just off the top of my head Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Burrow, Herbert, Trevor Lawrence and then it gets into like your tier of younger guys and, and there's in there and Deshaun Watson's still around. If he ever gets good at football again, Russell Wilson got traded to the AFC. If he ever gets good at football again and the NFC, meanwhile, is highlighted by Jalen hurts, Justin Fields, Jared Goff question mark. It gets really dark, really fast. If you go over to the other side. Uh, I mean, you got Dak. Dak has his issues, but Dak is definitely still in that conversation. Oh, Tua. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tua Nan. Tua's in the AFC as well. I knew I was forgetting someone. Wrong guy to forget if you cross Tua Nan. So, yeah, Tua's in there as well. Yeah, I'd th- very good pickup. I'd throw Dak in that conversation for uh, NFC. Uh, golf might be the fourth best. I'm trying to rack my brain. Offer Brock Purdy, man. I mean, Rodgers and Brady are still there, but. Who knows what you're getting out of them in any game this season? Yeah, I was going to say, you can't forget Rodgers. And also, Gino Smith? Wheelan, Dillon, Kirk. How yeah. about that? Kirk gets gotta weird. Combo. Every NFC quarterback is real. Like, all these AFC quarterbacks are young and good. All these NFC quarterbacks are flawed, but capable of good things. And that even extends to like your Daniel Joneses and your Taylor Heineke's. It's, it gets really interesting with these guys because none of them are stars, but all of them can rise to the occasion under the right set of circumstances. And that's what's going to be that side of the bracket fun to watch. In earnest, I don't know which side I'd like better. Like an all, an all good quarterback team for a good offense or an all flaws bracket where like, you get those weird success stories. You get those like historically significant, like, you know, the Chiron comes on the lower third during the fourth quarter. It's like no quarterback has ever rushed for 175 uh, yards in a playoff game while also throwing three touchdowns. Jalen Hurts was in rare air, like doing some crazy, like playing up to their full strength to the maximum. Like, I feel like those always end up those weird, 
either in weird moments or weird like like cherry picked historically significant stats. And on the other end of the spectrum, because you don't have all good quarterbacks, you get those weird collapses of like three score swings or like backbreaking pick sixes. Like it's just the chaos element thrown in there. You're either getting all good or all chaos. Well, two notes on your Jalen Hurts piece right there. Uh, One, I would love to just acknowledge the elephant in the fantasy room, which was that anyone with Jalen Hurts involved in their game at all today is furious uh, because he took every single touchdown and the two-point conversion, all rushing. Uh, So that's just 20 points right there before you even factor that he threw for 300 yards and no touchdowns for someone like a Miles Sanders, A.J. Brown. Miles Sanders had one and a half points today, Kim. Not great. Uh, and then Dallas Goddard didn't play, even though people thought he might. So everyone's furious about that Eagles game. Uh, two, MVP conversation. I think I'm just going to stop having it until the regular season is over and we can actually look at the numbers because every week, every week we're expected to have this, like, swing of opinions based on what happens like woo Mahomes throws three picks last week wins by the way uh now all of a sudden it's hurts his award to lose hurts throws two picks today uh and for like half a game everyone's saying oh hurts is choking the mvp away and then by the end of the game they're like oh jalen hurts is the guy again so i'm done with mvp hot takes i'm just gonna look at the numbers when the season's over and tell you who the mvp is our <laughs> the whole point of being in the take sphere. Iron sharpens iron, Jackson. Learn but this is a take. This is a take against the take sphere, if you think about it. It's still a take, just a different kind of take. Yeah, but you gotta be able to you can't get meta. It, it's like that comic book of like uh the feudal guy pointing out oppression, the guy pointing out the barrel. It's like, yeah, you participate in society. Curious. Like <laughs> You have to, like, you can rail against the take industry, but you still got to participate in it. Like, don't fully eject yourself from it. That's no fun. Where's the fun in that? Well, if I had an MVP vote, Kale, maybe, just maybe, I'd give it to Trevor Lawrence, transitioning to the NFC playoff picture. We had a crazy day over there, Kale, let me tell you what. Oh, wait, he's in the AFC, huh? Yeah, I was going to say, I, huh. I know it affects Dallas's playoff. Picture, yeah, that's that's but... where I think I was going with that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I told sick. you guys I was sick. I'm not cutting any of this out. NFC playoff picture after a inaccurate transition. We have the Vikings and 49ers both clinching not just a playoff berth, but their own divisions. That essentially means they're now fighting for the tooth two seed given that the bucks and every other nfc south team are below 500 transitioning to the wild card picture the seahawks are fading fast the giants seize control of the sixth seed with a win over washington in washington very impressive stuff and how about them lions kale we say it every week not in playoff position yet Half a game behind Washington for the seventh seed by virtue of a tie. But, man, are they coming. Roar is being restored as we speak. A very manageable schedule of Carolina, Chicago, and Green Bay as well. Washington has to face off against San Francisco, Cleveland, and Dallas. That's going to be an uphill battle. Seahawks, 
Still hanging around despite the loss. But you got to leapfrog one of those NFC East teams. And the Giants took care of business. It, it was really cool seeing uh, a big Kayvon Thibodeau game. I am consistently impressed with the fact that Brian Dable just keeps getting a lot out of Saquon Barkley and no one. Like, the receiving core is, like, real, real scrap heap stuff. It is impressive that they're able to consistently put up 20-point games. And, hey, we missed this game because it means nothing. But I don't know how far – I'll tie it to the Cardinals because we're in the NFC end of it. But leave it to Brett Rippon of the Denver Broncos to get Denver over that 18-point threshold. <laughs> That's all stuff. you needed. That's all you needed Brent in a game like guy, this. Kale. I don't know. Well, listen, if Russ didn't manage, like if there would have been a conversation to be had if Russ was in this game and they couldn't get that to that 18-point mark, it would have been very fun to see because this was a sloppy on, I you know, Arizona had to get down to their third-string quarterback. Like, they're losing multiple defenders. There was a world where the Russell Wilson led Broncos lose this game, and Brett Rippon pulls it back. So let me just let me just continue on the vein of that game real quick, because it was obviously the grossest game of the week, grossest uniform game of the week by far, maybe the grossest uniform game of the year. But let me tell you who the winners and losers are for that game, Kale. The winners, the winners are the losers, the Arizona Cardinals, who leapfrog from like, I don't know, sixth all the way up to the three spot, if my math is right in the draft right now which I believe it is, leapfrog the Broncos, leapfrog the Saints, and the losers are the Seahawks because they get a worse draft pick from the Broncos than they would if the Broncos had lost that game. So very weird that in a game where the Broncos beat the Cardinals on the scoreboard, the actual winner is the Cardinals and the loser is the Seahawks, but just spitting facts here. Listen, I like where your head's at. I, you're playing with... You're playing with house money at this point. I don't think you ever expected to trade Russ and have Denver to give you a better draft pick than your own. Uh, you're locked in for that, so you're playing with house money at this point. Beautiful stuff. That's but most yeah. of what the top five in the draft is right now, though. It's so sick. It's very funny. I think Philly it's- from New Orleans, Lions from the Rams, and then obviously Seahawks from the Broncos. Three of the top five as of right now. I think this era of trading draft capital and mixing stuff around, like having playoff teams in the top five of the draft, having losing teams, uh, buying like notable veteran assets to improve over going through the draft. It's really cool. Like, I don't know. It's Madden stuff. It's really cool. I love it personally. And you can't necessarily say that, you know, trading away these first round picks is a failed strategy because it helped win the Rams a Super Bowl, as we've discussed ad nauseum on this show. So it's not as though 
we're guaranteed to stop seeing these giant ransom hauls for quarterbacks because yeah, it hasn't worked out well for the cart or for the Broncos and for the Browns so far, but won the Rams a Super Bowl. Yeah, with the deals you have, you're locked in long term anyway. Stafford with his age might be a short term thing. Russ with his age might just be a bust. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see, but I do like this. You know, we talk about aggressive coaching more. I do like this aggressive GMing more. Mm, I like I like the way you phrased it. Well done. Huh. A lot of other stuff to touch on in both conferences, I feel like. Um, obviously, as we said, there were no crazy endings to dive into. Uh, so nothing to worry no, there about. Were, hey, there were a few, like, that overtime in Jacksonville Dallas was great. Uh, both New York games got down to the wire. Uh, that Kansas City game uh, ended real exciting. Like, Houston looked like they were going to push it. Oh, wait, 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 Kale, I have one for you. I have one. We should talk about the uh, the craziest game of the week, craziest ending to a game as well. Uh, but we have to go back to yesterday because 33 nothing Colts lead over the Vikings at halftime. Oh Final score, not 33 to nothing. 39-36, Vikings win in overtime. Every single possible theme you can think of dunking on Jeff Saturday. This game being on a Saturday does not help. I Like, what else do we have to say about the Colts at this point, about Matt Ryan's unfortunate career with losing second-half leads? Or is this just the case of the Vikings actually being a good football team? Uh, I won't give them that, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think if Saturday, like, we, we barely missed out on uh, – I, th- I think we missed out on least on Saturday's timeouts blunder uh, at the end of a primetime game the other week. Uh, was that the Raiders game, I think? Uh, but, like, like he just Steelers doesn't – game. Too many to think of, I know. Yeah. He just doesn't have an end game. Like, he doesn't know how to coach the end of a football game. Uh, it was – it was crazy. I like, I, you know, I'll, I'll shout out the resolve of the Minnesota Vikings, but that was nuts. That was, I can't, oh my God. I like, am I going to have to look at the game log to rehash this? Cause it was, I don't, un, I still am processing just how big Jackson, do you know how many points 33 is? <laughs> We say that's a lot. Of, we say that's a lot of points. A lot. The win probability graphics hilarious. The the swing that they took from Minnesota scoring. I I I need to look this up. Sorry, I am rambling too much. Jackson, save me on this. Well, well, I, let me just. This game broke. While, this game broke. Let me add while you're looking it up that there were two defensive touchdowns stolen from the Vikings by the officiating crew. So not only was this the largest comeback in NFL history, could have been easier, could have been done in regulation had the referees not stepped in and kept the Colts in it. There are some just – there were so many punts in this game, Jackson. Like, like, you don't think that's a big deal. But, like, how do you not manage to orchestrate a single a single competent drive in the second half. Oh, that's ex- that's the story to me. The story is the Colts probably just needed like 
four first downs in the entire second half to win the game and couldn't do it. They got a lot. Oh, no, no, most of these are just three and outs. There's a lot where there's there's a lot of plays where they get a first down on first down, then have a three and out, or just have stuff ruled out by penalties and rolled over. Like, God, I don't know. You go you watch it, you watch a game sometimes, Jackson, that you think you have somewhat of a grasp on like how hard were was twitter in general just donking on vikings in the first half and then i I played i played a a minor role in that it's easy to flip the switch to just dunking on jeff saturday after that or dunking on matt ryan but like there has to be a gap in the middle somewhere where you're just like oh god (laughs) every like everything we we thought we could rest our laurels on is wrong is completely wrong uh and the vikings get away with it again they have their ultimate reversion back uh like they regress or they they regress to the mean then regress away under the mean because they're just having like a historic collapse at this point and then flip all the way back to the other side i've never seen a football game like this jackson outside yeah. of Outside they of did. 3 and it's even bigger. And they did flip all the switches, and you give them credit for that, but at the same time, it's you, you want to sing Kirk's praises, you want to sing the offense's praises. Kirk threw a ghastly interception in that second half, and they also went for and did not convert a fourth and 15, which like probably the right move to go for it there. I think they had a bad pen or a bad sack to set up that fourth and 15. So you'd think in a 33 nothing halftime deficit everything has to go right not everything went right for them in the second half and that's not even uh, again I'll allude to the strip scoop and score that was nullified in the second half that was just ridiculous but they the Colts didn't even force them to play a perfect game to come back from the biggest deficit in NFL history they were like no you guys sure you don't want this one like we'll give it to you like it's right here you can have it oh fourth and one Matt Ryan's just going to like stumble over his own feet for five steps and not reach the ball out. Like I don't even blame Saturday for going for that. Steve Smith said Saturday should be fired just for going for that fourth down. You're going to trust your guy to make a 52 yard field goal instead of getting six inches on offense. Like Matt Ryan just can't sneak it. Or you at least do the thing where you go twin back or like, like Y back and have two guys pushing Matt Ryan. Like yeah, somehow you, only yeah. the Eagles know how to do that. It's 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 a fail. It's pretty much fail proof, but only the Eagles are running it right now. Maybe a couple other teams. I think I saw Derrick Henry push Tannehill into the end zone today. Teams are starting to catch on, but yeah, it's pretty foolproof at this point. Yeah, if you just push on like their, I think it's you can't push their back. You could push like their butt or like below their numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, don't tempt me with a good time. Ooh wee. We don't have a transition out of that. We're just going to let that linger now. Yeah, I, I'm cool with that. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna segue into our fourth bullet note of the opening of the show, and that's uh, something that we've deemed "Control Your Destiny." Watch now. It can also be called uh, "Who's in the Catbird Seat." It is looking into NFL teams that control their own destiny to make the playoffs at this stage of the season. 
we have the six and eight Jacksonville Jaguars, which uh, shout out to PFF's Mike Renner. Kale and I did a show on Friday where we broke down hot takes and I called Mike Renner's take the hottest of the week that the Jaguars would win, the Titans would lose, and the Jags would control their own destiny. It happened. It took a pretty massive second-half collapse from the Cowboys, aided, of course, by the spectacularity of Trevor Lawrence. But I want to say at one point it was 27-10. to 10. Yep, that's correct. So not great. And then who else controls their destiny? Well, the 6-8 and eight Tampa Bay Bucks control their destiny despite the fact that they look uninterested in playing professional football for the rest of the season. And the Tampa Bay Bucks today, Kale, had a stretch of the game where they gave up 24 straight points and turned the ball over really on five straight possessions. I'll break that down in a moment, but that was bad. But the, the cherry on top of this Sunday, the team that really controls their own destiny, the 5-9 and nine, Lost to Mitch Trubisky at home, Carolina Panthers. Round of applause for Sammy D. They can win out and win the division at 8-9. and nine. They might even win it at 7-10 and 10 if the Bucs lose two more games. This is a mess. I think my favorite of those is, has to be both of the South teams, just because... Both those teams, their paths come through winning the division. And let's not forget, too, before you go on, both the Falcons and Saints are also 5-9 and nine in a standings tie with the Panthers for second place and can still very much win the division. They just don't control their own destiny to do it. They need some help. But any of these four teams could still win this god-awful division. It is, it is a curse and no one wants to win it. Clearly not Tampa Bay. I think I'm most impressed by Jacksonville in this case, uh, if only because it's the only team in that list with a real quarterback. Uh, they're all like Trevor Lawrence of the last month has been nothing short of awesome. Uh, it's It goes back to as early as that. Uh, that Ravens game mounting a two score comeback absolutely dropped the ball against the Detroit Lions, which is fascinating in its own right, considering the position there and now. Like, that is now a sneaky good game. But in the last four weeks, because I'll also give him a pretty good Kansas City game, has sorry, last five games has nine touchdowns on top of four, an additional four today. Only interception he's thrown is today. It was his first interception since October 30th, which is nuts. And he's, again, doing this all with, like, Zay Jones. Like, he's, like it's Zay Jones has a fantastic game. Christian Kirk, like, the $18 million man who broke the – $72 million man who broke the wide receiver market. Like, he could have better weapons. Like, he could certainly on offense have better weapons. But this is a great offense spearheaded by a guy who is having a fantastic year two emergence. Yeah, and he's elevating 
these guys. It's not just Zay Jones. It's not just Christian Kirk. Evan Ingram looks like the guy that the Giants always wanted Evan Ingram to be the past couple weeks. That's all credit to Lawrence. He's already doing the thing that we, you know, expect the great quarterbacks to do, which is take what's given to him and find a way to get the best out of his pass catchers. It's really been pretty awesome to watch. You'd expect that Travis Etienne would be playing off his gourd right now. Like he was decent today, but it, it still feels like he comes up short on every third and one. It's really just all Lawrence right now. It's been just a joy to watch him develop. And I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's almost a guarantee that that Titans game week 18 is going to be for the division because they play the Jets and the Texans. The Titans, I think, have some tougher games, but they're still technically a game back of the Titans. So if they're tied or if they're one game back still, that game is for the division. So really the only way it's not is if the Jags win their next two and the Titans lose their next two. Actually, yeah, I think the- it still could be, right? Because they'd be tied. So it's almost a guarantee at this point. You would need uh, the only way for week 18 not to matter in some capacity is if the Jags go 0 and 2 and the Titans go at least 0 1 and 1. The 1 0 and 1, but yeah. No, 0 1 and 1 because you, you would only need the tie. You'd only need the tie to separate you. Uh, the way to really get the high stakes going is if Tennessee loses at least one game and Jacksonville wins at least one game because that is winning in for either team, which is which would be awesome. No, it's still the same. Even if they say they both go one and one or they both go two and oh, it's still a winning in for both teams because the Jags won the first matchup. So that's kind of what I'm saying is it's almost definitely going to be a winning in if you assume that the Jags are going to win that Texans game because otherwise the Titans would have to go 2 and 0. They still play the Cowboys if I'm not mistaken. I had I had one tweet explain that to me uh and I trust them. So yeah, there's a lot of possibilities for a win or in. Who knows I like where it's headed. It's uh, NFC long. South is a travesty, but I did want to touch on the Bucks. Uh it was a crowded field for head scratchers this week, so couldn't quite get the Bucks in there for an official head scratcher. What in tarnation happened to the Bucks offense after halftime? Let's break it down. 17-3 lead at the half. Looking like the Bucks might finally have woken up, playing the game that they want to play on both sides of the ball. They do give up the field goal to the Bengals right before half, which felt significant because, you know, going into the half with no points can be pretty demoralizing despite what happened to the Vikings this week. Coming out of half, the Bucks seemingly go three and out, and it seems as though everything's going to be all right. But they run a fake punt for no apparent reason, and it's a direct snap to Giovanni Bernard, who's the third-string running back, and he can't handle it, and he's getting tackled 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and all of a sudden you're gifting the Bengals the ball at your 16-yard line. So they start that. They only get a field goal out of it, but then – Next drive, interception. Next drive after that, fumble. Next drive after that, another fumble. And next drive after that, another interception. The Bengals start their drives in the second half at the Tampa Bay 16, the Tampa Bay 31, the Tampa Bay 13, and the Tampa Bay 39. And they go field goal, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And all of a sudden, the game is basically over. It was a comedy of errors unlike any that I've seen this year. 
not that there weren't like crazy or bad plays elsewhere around the league this year, but that was the most concentrated stretch of what the F football that I've seen all season. Yeah, I mean, I want to credit Cincinnati in this game for like really buckling down and what scoring on four straight drives out of halftime. Yeah, but they didn't have to do it. It was the defense. That's what I'm saying. Anyone. That's what I'm saying is I can't credit them because turnover on downs, interception, fumble, fumble, interception is is backbreaking football. It is absolute, like, throw it all away, hang up the jersey. Like, that is a completely demoralizing way to end your season. Like, like I don't know. I always like – End your season to the team that's still in first place by a full game. <laughs> I No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, no, you're, it's I'm – sure, I'm sure we'll talk about it with other teams at this point. But you're at a certain point in your season where you're looking to clinch a division. You're looking to ramp up on the way to the playoffs. You're looking to like actually try and do something with your last potential month of football. And to just have like inept play calling decisions, poor quarterback performance, like constant mistakes, like it can't be how. Like you ramp like Cincinnati's on the right trajectory. They start out really poor, but you ramp up into something. You build. It's it's a snowball effect. You learn from like you learn from your mistakes. You like hit on what you do well and keep going there. Tampa Bay, it's the opposite. Like they're the only way they're competent the rest of the season is if they push for like is if they become the team we know they can become see the Super Bowl, see last year. Uh, it's a slightly different roster dealing with injuries, but, like, we know what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can be with Tom Brady at the helm. And just to see an utter second-half collapse like this, it's it doesn't bode well. It, I You talk about teams like – I was thinking about it last year, teams that deserve to be in the playoffs versus teams that end up in the playoffs because there is a difference, like – Steelers last year squeak in after the total blow up. Uh, like the Colts thought they were going to be a team deserving with some low quarterback play and just outright miss it because they lose to the Jaguars. And then other teams sneak in. This Buccaneers team feels like they should be one of the teams where it's like, listen, I know the record doesn't reflect it. They're a team worthy of being in the playoffs. And they've completely done a 180. Where it's just like they have, like, the Falcons and Panthers and Saints all have equal cases to be in the playoffs as the Bucks do. Well, that was a very fun first edition of Catbird Seat, aka Control Your Destiny Watch, and no doubt we'll be doing it again next week. It's pretty much a guarantee that all of the same teams will still be in it. Maybe we'll add one or two more to the fun. What's also fun is Game Balls. You may go first, Kale, because I've got a weird one, so I'm going to divert the stage to you. Yeah. Uh, first up, Zay Jones. Uh, you can give it to, like, we could give it to Trevor, uh, but I'm biased uh, because uh, Zay Jones won me in Fantasy League, or as in uh, won me not having to be in last place. <laughs> so 
out of personal bias, he gets it. Three touchdown game from Zay Jones, two of which came during the comeback attempt, like the three straight touchdown drives by Jacksonville that made it a competitive football game. Uh, really been just an impressive emergent player for Jacksonville this year. You go in, you think of the signings they made last year with Marvin Jones, you think of Christian Kirk getting the main money for this team. And it's been Zay Jones the last couple weeks, had a big game against Baltimore, had a big game against Tennessee, and does it again in this week. Like, we talk about Lawrence elevating guys, but, like, it's been impressive to see who's come out of the woodwork. Like, that little flash where, like, LaMarcus Joyner, I think, had, like, a two-touchdown game. Uh, Again, like you said, making the most of Evan Ingram. I think the person who's benefited most from having Lawrence a quarterback is Zay Jones. Absolutely, man. Zay Jones, seven touchdowns in Josh Allen's rookie season with Buffalo in 2018. He then goes zero in 2019, the year he's traded midseason to Oakland. One in 2020 in his first year in Vegas because the team moved. One in 2021 with Vegas. Only had two on the season coming into today for Jacksonville in his first season. Three will help earn you a nice little paycheck later down the line. So that is good stuff for Mr. Jones. And he's already like he's already on pace to break his season yardage record. He's oh, yeah, he did that before this like, game. Yeah. So he did no, so he broke it this he had already broken it. Is he going you might get close to a thousand depending on how much they end up playing because they don't have this game counted today. He's already gotten past his second hundred receptions or uh sorry, hundred target season, and he might actually eclipse hundred receptions. There's a chance of that. Like he is having an awesome, awesome year. And also, now I don't have to run the New York City marathon. <laughs> That's pretty huge, Kel. Now Tell the people about not about your fantasy team as a whole because we did that two weeks ago, but just explain to the people what your record is and why it's even possible that your record is what it is. Oh yeah, so uh, after this week, I'm officially three ten and two. <laughs> uh, I have not. I had not only did I have two ties on the season, I had two ties within my first four weeks of play. I was one, two, and one. One, one, and two. One, one, and two to start out the season. That's Uh, good stuff, man. And this is, again, like I said, went through historically bad trades. This is not a good roster. We had a debate this weekend to figure out if Jacoby Myers is hurt, do I start George Pickens, Ben Skoronek, or Chris Moore on Houston? The The roster that won me this week, Josh Allen, Deontay Foreman, who had half a point, Aaron Jones, Zay Jones, Chris Moore, Greg Dulcich, Jacoby Myers, Pittsburgh D, and Greg Joseph. And outside of like some single-digit performances, uh, basically 70 points came from Josh Allen and Zay Jones combined. What more do you need, my guy? Fantasy is, of course, ruling all of our lives at this point, but reality is a thing, too. The Vikings, man. Let me tell you about the Minnesota Vikings. Please do. Please do. 
I'm giving one game ball to three Minnesota Vikings. Unprecedented in our show's history. I have to do it, though, because you look at this comeback and roles had to be played by many a Viking in order for it to work out. And I won't give one to Kirk Cousins. I am in spirit. He does throw for 460 and four touchdowns, but that also includes two picks, one of which is a pick six. Could give it to Kirk. Not going to. Sorry if that makes me a Kirk hater. Who does get it? Number one, K.J. Osborne. K.J. Osborne, easily the three receiver on this team. There's just no debate about it coming into the year. And they trade for T.J. Hawkinson, so in some games that bumps him down to the fourth option. Maybe even fifth that Dalvin Cook's doing a lot of catching out of the backfield. In this game, K.J. Osborne commands a whopping 16 targets, the same as Justin Jefferson. He gets 10 catches for 157 yards, a long of 63, and a touchdown. And if K.J. Osborne doesn't do that, which is, you know, beyond a career game for him at this point, they're not in this position. Number two, the aforementioned Justin Jefferson, who also gets 16 targets, but one-ups KJ with 12 receptions, 123 yards, a touchdown of his own, and I'm really only giving it to him for the touchdown because it was the nastiest route I've ever seen in my entire life. He, I, I don't even know how to describe what he did to Stephon Gilmore. The best I could do is that it was sort of a, like if you put a really shifty point guard in the post and he just faked a big man out of his shoe, sort of like, you know, Kyrie Irving catches the ball on the block against like Zubats or something and just like pivots twice and just puts him on the deck and waltzes into the end zone. Unreal route. Third is Dalvin Cook, the guy who ends up with the 64-yard game-tying touchdown Uh, Also ran for 95 yards, did have a fumble early in the game. But other than that, pretty much his best game of the season. Any of these three guys don't do what I just described. The Vikings don't pull off the crazy comeback. So I couldn't just give one of them the game ball. I had to split it up and cut it into thirds. It's only fair, right? Like, I don't think that's a... I don't think that's like a Kirk comeback. Like, in the same way that I think the Jacksonville... Jaguars comeback is the Trevor Lawrence comeback. Yeah, I gave the game ball to Zay Jones, but like we talked, the emerging star in Jacksonville is Trevor Lawrence. What he's doing in the back half of the season is impressive. His Viking wins, though. His Vikings win, though. I don't just chalk up to Kirk. Like you have the massive break off run by Dalvin Cook to put into overtime. Uh, yeah, it was uh, no, it was a catch. It was sixty-four yards. Yeah, I mean, Kirk, like you talk about leading a game, tying a game-winning drive. He didn't lead the drive. He threw one dump off pass. Great. I mean, look. Yeah, good that's play all call. Learned. That's all <laughs> earned by play call, Good catch and run. <laughs> KJ Osborne's really emerging as this, like, good, legitimately good wide receiver three option in Minnesota. Justin Jefferson's doing Justin Jefferson things, and even Adam Thielen in his age who Osborne will likely leapfrog in the depth chart at some point, is still performing really well. Like, getting five different touchdowns out of five different people. Uh, genuine, like, genuinely team effort. There's no way 
there's like we could really only give the game ball to at least two, maybe three guys. Yeah, shout out CJ Ham as well for his uh, one yard touchdown that angered everyone else that was starting people in uh, fantasy counts. football. <laughs> Definitely it counts. counts, no doubt about it. Defense, I'll go first this time. I'm going to give my defensive game ball to someone who ended a game on defense, stole the ball, set up the game-winning touchdown, ended a game. Some might say the craziest finish of the day, Kale. That's going to be Frank Clark of the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs, of course, do go to overtime against the 111-1, now 112-1 Houston Texans. But people will forget Patrick Mahomes, you think, oh, Mahomes gets the ball first in overtime. He leads the touchdown drive. Bada bing, bada boom, game over. No, the Chiefs punt. Immediately after that, the very first play of the next drive, Texans hand the ball off. Or actually, they did not hand the ball off. Davis Mills scrambled. Frank Clark just walks up on Davis Mills and just punches it right out. Peanut Tillman style says, I will take that. Thank you very much. Willie Gay recovers. Literally the very next play, dump off pass, Jarrett McKinnon, touchdown. Actually, I'm messing it up again. Jarrett McKinnon just took the ball and ran with it. My memory may not serve great, but I do remember Frank Clark just stripping the heck out of Davis Mills. Thought they might be in jeopardy of losing to the Texans. Frank Clark said, not this time. Really, really saved the asses of Kansas City. Sometimes you give a game ball to someone because they, you know, stood on their head and played the game of their life. Sometimes you just have to give it to them because you saved your team from utter embarrassment. I mean, I I don't know how far Kansas City mentally would have fallen in my rankings. This is now the second close game they've played. Uh, the that like Denver game where I was like, hey, that's that's a pretty good loss for Denver. Like it, it gives them some credit. They're completely out of it, but. You know, it's a good win for them. Now if they're doing it the second straight week, week against the Texans, I don't know if this is like them being asleep at the wheel, them overlooking opponents, but they can't know, guard. They like they just give up points. Doesn't matter who you are, you're scoring on Kansas City. It's crazy, man. But also, like low key though, low key, this Houston Texans two QB system, kind of nasty. Back-to-back weeks now where they're just causing chaos out there. Sometimes Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll are on the field at the same time for no reason. But, like, you know. That whole first first drive where they were just running to – like, that's wasting a spot. Having Having Jeff Driscoll and Davis Mills on the field at the same time is wasting a spot. You can't do that with two, like, I guess, like, pocket passer quarterbacks <laughs> like who what do you mean they ran like a little fake reverse with each other on third Driscoll, and one that got stuffed but like they did ran. have some runs driscoll did have some runs uh in last week's game that were like okay okay jeff like <laughs> get it done buddy but this is just i don't know i, I don't know how long this could be functional they've got to have other other teams with better quarterbacks from this it can't just be That's Houston. what I'm saying though. Like, what if the Houston Texans have found something? You know, what if what if the solution for teams that don't have a quarterback is to have two? Makes you think. Completely flies in the face of the old. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Yeah. 
Uh, Jeff game, did only throw four passes, but it felt like more. Felt like too many. Listen, if you're taking snaps with another quarterback on the field, four passes is a lot. We could get stuck on this for a while. We've completely probably could. Uh, my that. game ball, Rayshon Jenkins. Uh, in this episode of, I swear I watched more than one game this week. Rayshon Jenkins was just everywhere. 18 total tackles, nine of them solo. Two interceptions, including a game-winning pick six. It doesn't get much better than that in terms of just crazy, crazy wins. Overtime pick six. Bobbing and weaving through guys. Returns at, like, I think 30-something yards. Like, it was an impressive return. Not much else to say there. Sorry, I'm yawning. It is late and I've not had sleep. (laughs) There's nothing that should make me yawn about uh, Rayshon Jenkins' game. <laughs> I keep screwing this up because I, for some reason, wrote LaMarcus Joyner in our graphic or in our document to talk about Rayshon Jenkins. And then Jackson and I had a two-minute conversation where it just wasn't LaMarcus Joyner. Now I just keep wanting to call him LaMarcus Joyner, even though he's Rayshon Jenkins. Rayshon Jenkins, game ball to you, game stealing interception, all over the place. What a game. Yeah, not LaMarcus Joyner. Very little similarity between those names. As not well. even all. Not even close. I have no idea why I'm screwing up. I you, you have Jets. I think on it's the just brain. Jenkins and Joyner. Yeah, I don't know. You have you have Jets on the brain though. I do know that. Because usually oh. this year it's been if it's if it's and I swear I watched more than one game this week this year it's usually been the Jets, but not this time, buddy. That hey, that does help a lot because <laughs> listen, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking some Jets soon. Don't worry. Yeah. The Jets, uh, easily the most embarrassing thing that happened to any AFC East team today was the Jets losing. Moving on to special teams. Jordan Elliott is my special teams game ball. Defensive end for the Cleveland Browns. Low-key, Kale? Best thing the Browns have going for them right now is special teams. You had the touchdown two weeks ago, Donovan Peoples-Jones, the game where Uh, only special teams and defense score points for the Cleveland Browns in this game. Justin Tucker missed two field goals. I assume for the first time ever, probably would have been good to be diligent and do research on that. But you know what you listeners step your game up and get us a larger audience base and I'll do more intensive research, but I'm just going to assume it was the first time that Justin Tucker's missed two field goals, but he only missed two. He only missed two because after he had already missed one, Jordan Elliott got up to block this Justin Tucker field goal. Like I'm talking, this is a man who weighs probably 290, 300. I'm actually going to look this one up, I swear. Uh, Jordan Elliott, yeah, 6'4", 303, where's number 96. And he probably had a 32, 33-inch vertical on this. And being 6'4", with that kind of vert, he made it look impressive. Can't even really blame Justin Tucker all that much. This was as high as I think I've seen anyone get on a field goal block. It's the one thing keeping this team afloat. Like the defense hasn't like the defense has been more impressive in recent weeks than they have been at other points of the season. But it is just when Miles he, Garrett decides to show up, the defense is competent. When he that's a good way of putting it. That's a very good way of putting it. The I just don't. <laughs> It's not sustainable, but it's a big 
it's a big thing to help just keep this team alive. Also, I'm trying to look on Stathead for uh, Justin Tucker missed – or, like, to look up the Justin Tucker missed field goals thing. And they don't have, like, a field goal missed section. It's just total field goals made or field goal attempts. So, like, unless I'm going to start putting, like, booleans in where it's, like, if, if field goals made is two or more greater than field goal attempts, which I'm not going to do, uh, it will remain a mystery whether Justin Tucker missed – has missed more than two field goals in a game. We'll, and you we'll know never what? know. We'll never know. Ah, uh, you know what? Hate to report this. This was the sixth game of Justin Tucker's career that he missed at least two field goals. He's never missed three, and uh, he's only been zero for two once. He went one for three in this game. He went zero for two on September fifteenth, twenty thirteen, also against the Browns. Browns have a little witchy juju against Justin Tucker. How about it? That's crazy. I don't know. I don't have much for that. That's crazy. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy of the week. You'd think that's you'd think he's the most automatic quarterback or uh kicker in football. He's not a quarterback, actually. Uh you'd think he'd be the most automatic guy in football. Hey, shows you not everyone's perfect. No, sir. Your special teams game ball, if you please. About maybe going. Because because game winners are so easy. Thinking about going dicker the kicker. Over with the Los Angeles Chargers. However, and again, a second example of, I swear I watched more than one game this week, just because we've talked a lot of Vikings Colts. I've got to go Greg Joseph. Because uh, you've already given, he'll be the fourth. This is going to be an unprecedented four game balls handed out to uh one team in one week. Well, it's only two technically. It's just three guys are three guys are splitting one, and then Greg Joseph gets one all to himself. That's good stuff, Greg. But there's a model of consistency that you need to surmount these comebacks. And on top of having a game-winning field goal under your belt, just getting all those extra points. Like, really putting your team in a position to win. Greg, the leg, Joseph, (laughs) ends up finishing. Just one field goal, all four extra points. The one field goal he kicked is the game winner. But, hey, that's just being automatic. That's just being on the ball, putting your team in a position to get to overtime and then sealing the game for said team. Also, bit of a shout out before you get in, Jackson, to Kenny Wongler. Like we, like he's gotten enough game balls this year. Just such an asset to have. Like I don't know why more teams don't try and scout elite return men because Kenny Wongler consistently puts the Minnesota Vikings in a position to win, whether it's short uh, field position or just outright returning balls to the house. How many times have we given Kenny Wongler game balls just for scoring a touchdown? It's a lot, tell you that. But just really puts a team in a position to win. Minnesota has some pretty solid extra points that helps, or uh, special teams that helps them close out all these one score games. Greg Joseph, Kenny Wong, massive part of that. Yeah, I think that's uh, a perfectly legit choice. 
when we set up the Google Doc, I, I gave you one to possibly use that I'm going to talk about now. Uh, Khalif Raymond of the Detroit Lions, who returns a punt for a touchdown uh, to open the scoring in the Jets-Lions game. That wasn't so notable as much as the fact that I don't think I've ever seen an easier punt return for a touchdown. Like He catches this thing at the 43-yard line. Not only does he not get touched, but he barely has to move off his line just straight to the end zone. And it also got me thinking, now this is another thing that, granted, this one would have probably been tougher to research, um, but I had never seen such a short punt return for a touchdown that wasn't blocked. Like you see lots of punts that are blocked and easily returned for touchdowns. Only a 43-yard punt return touchdown, like that's a really short, really bad punt that he had the house and he did it. Good stuff. Great stuff. Indeed. Jackson. Let's talk some uniforms. I was, this was a weird uniform Sunday. I agree. First of all, any Sunday where there's less games because we're starting to do the Saturday thing, uh, uniforms get a little weird. We of course have Thursday and Saturday night football to choose from here. I'm not going to, I, will. I would say this week had a lot of decent, flawed candidates for uniform game. A lot of games where there was one great team and one decent team, but no games where both teams look phenomenal. Um, going to go with Eagles-Bears. And the reason I'm going to do that is because the both of these teams have uniforms that look much better outdoors, that look much better in the cold, and then you can easily envision this uniform matchup being a playoff game. Like this is the exact uniform matchup that we had in the double doink game. It's the best oh, no. version of what the Eagles have going. It's the best version of what the bears have going. It's really solid all the way around. It like strikes a nostalgic chord in me to see these two uniforms on the same field. It does feel like old, like old, old school football. I don't know what it is. Which is funny because this is not like the Eagles in the grand scheme of things do not have a crazy old uniform template. Like, yeah, it's probably 30 years old, but, you know, they switch from the Kelly greens. Like that would be the throwback NFL films if the Eagles wore Kelly green. I get that. But there's something like, I don't know about you. I don't know if you observe things like this, but like relics of. There's certain time periods that have like big staying power in their design like the 70s and 90s both have as like generations especially the 90s both have like really specific branding attached to them and the 2000s the aughts is just like kind of this cultural like black hole at least from a western perspective there's like not a lot of like cultural touchstones in the same way the 90s had uh there's a crazy i'm not gonna get into it there's a crazy meditation on it in like a post 9-11 world of like the fact that the U.S. couldn't produce culture because of just like years of shell shock. Uh, it's really interesting. Highly recommend it. But you know early aughts designs when you see it. It's like kind of more like bold, jagged text, like big stuff. The color scheme, the text, the logo, it all – like the Eagles just feel like such a remnant of the aughts. Like it's like such a weird, very unique kind of design, whether it's their like wordplay or like their coloring – I don't know what it is, but it just like reminds me so much of the 2000s. And that's what I mean when I say they both look vintage. Like Chicago is timeless, like over a century. 
And the Eagles are just such a relic of this one time. It's like when you listen to a pop song on the radio from like 2008 to 2012, you're like, oh, I know exactly what this was because these all sound the same. <laughs> that one that one era of pop music uh, where like Mumford and Sons was big, uh, mm. where it's a lot of like, yeah, hey, and like clapping and like big bands. Like there's just these little pockets of time. where you I think you just accidentally up. sang Hey Ho by the Lumineers instead. Well, that's what I said. I said, yeah, hey. Hey, ho. Uh, the hey. Lumineers is the other band. I was like, sorry, I got on a weird tangent. I agree. Uh, the only other thing, <laughs> no, no, like no, it was interesting. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I, I mean, it was interesting. The only, only other thing I wanted to throw in about your early aughts comment, which was perfect, was the other reason I love this game was because it it made me think that like Donovan McNabb and Brian Erlacher were out there on the field because it was the exact same uniform matchup that that would have been. So it was like not a throwback, timeless uniform matchup, but it was a callback to the era of when I first started watching football. Like I would have seen that on a Sunday in 2003. Yeah. It felt very historic in that regard. Exactly. Historic to us. There we go. We landed. My uniform game of the week. I always call it uniform game ball. It's Bill's fins. I do not like this uniform game ball. See, I, okay. Because it stands out as like, so unique to me. I was watching uh, on NFL Network the broadcast of last of the Bills Dolphins game in Miami from like week three, I think. I don't know. But that game, Bills are wearing blues and they look so out of place. It looks like you're wearing winter sweaters to Miami. Like it's crazy how much it stands out. And like the Dolphins look perfect, their uniforms. Perfectly suit their stadium. Now they it's the opposite. They go on the road. The Bills and the All Reds look gorgeous. Like they they look like a full winter outfit. Like them sliding around on their bellies in the snow was like, yeah, like the red uniform perfectly suits that. Maybe it's just red and it felt like Christmas to me. Maybe it's like they're a full ski suit. I don't know. But it had a weird touchstone to me. Miami, on the other hand, unlike the Bills in Miami, the Miami in the snow in Buffalo, like, kind of worked to me. I don't know. I'm convinced I thought Miami, it was great all around. I'm convinced Miami would have won that game if they had won the Dan Marino era throwbacks. They can break it out two to you three can't. times a year. They've only done it once this year. They should have done it for this game. Can you go road throwbacks? That feels bold. Of course you can. I know you listen. I know you can, but you know, in the sense of Jurassic Park, you know, you never ask whether you should. I feel like that's a weird. (laughs) That's a weird thing you only do at home. How many road? How often do road throwbacks get brought out? Or road like uniform switch ups? I mean, a game like this would have been the perfect time, in my opinion. Also, should be mentioned that. I kind of like the gamesmanship for Miami going white on white. They could have won the teal pants, but they were like, no, we're going to blend in with the snow. Snow didn't really come until the fourth quarter. Uh, Most of what snow's involvement was in this game early was Miami getting hit by snow in the end zone. But I like the attempt at gamesmanship. I like more teams should try and camouflage. It's perfect. Hell yeah, brother. 
Let's do head scratchers, Kale. Uh, I think we've got some pretty good ones this week, despite the fact that obviously nothing crazy happened. Uh, why don't you go first? I mean, Jack, let's just talk about the absolute utter collapse that was Jets at Detroit. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, you are in a position to win this football game. This is an even, even game. First game back for Zach Wilson. The one thing you should be able to do is like help him out a little bit. 58 seconds left. First and 10 for the Jets on their own 38. Wilson throws an incomplete pass to Barrios, gets it down to 53 seconds. Completion to Garrett Wilson for 10 yards. All right. We're saying timeout. I'm doing I'm doing the Peyton Manning in Denver, Seattle from week one during the Manning cast. I'm doing timeout hitting it over and over again. They don't, despite having all three timeouts, the Jets completely waste 20 seconds, throw a deep pass, incomplete Braxton Berrios. That stops time. Wilson gets sacked the next play, then they call their timeout. Now you get 19 seconds left. Miss another pass to Elijah Moore. Now you hit Elijah Moore for 20 yards. You call your second timeout, because of the way the play worked, you call timeout at one second. The clock is ticking. Moore's fighting to stay in bounds, trying to extend the play. And they end up missing the field goal 58 yards. That would have tied the game for them. Give yourself that extra time. Put Zach Wilson in as good of a position to win this football game. It's Zach Wilson. Like, the guy needs a confidence boost. How big would it have been? for the Jets if Zach Wilson won this game because he still does Zach Wilson stuff. He still absolutely looks like an idiot sometimes out there. <laughs> but at the same time, like, he threw some great balls. Like, he's throwing some good stuff. Give him some kind of credit. Defense holds strong. Offense doesn't quite hold, hold up their end of the bargain because it's like, again, you just have a couple moments, whatever. But, like, if you're putting your team in a position to win, the coach should also – Manage the freaking clock so you have time enough to get downfield. When you get three timeouts, you go to the locker room, losing a game with one in your pocket. You've made a mistake. Yeah, you just can't do that. Just straight out. You you cannot go into the locker room at, in a losing effort with a timeout in your pocket, let alone a timeout that you could have used. I mean, could have used it a minute earlier. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a 58-yard field goal attempt. You think either you take the timeout – earlier you save 20 seconds somehow there's no way you're not kicking that from closer and this kick from Greg Zerline was not close it was it was left of left it was instantly as soon as it left his foot every Jets fan in the MLB Network studio was groaning all over the place so yeah it's just in it's it's one of those things that like I don't want to hate on Robert Sala but that's inexcusable like it just can't happen throughout the course of an NFL football game I think there were Nothing, nothing is more upsetting to talk about today for any given fan base than the Jets not taking that timeout. That's as bad as it gets. It's up there, man. Really, really bad. Jackson. I we didn't have a ton of options this week for game balls, so I hope you came up with something. Or for uh head scratchers. You know, it was pretty standard 
standard Sunday for football. Yeah. Kale, I was at work today. So I wasn't really watching football, you know, like I was doing the thing where I like watch it out of the corner of my eye. I do my best. Um, but I got really lucky. Um, something just got dropped in my lap here in the 11th hour, and I'm just going to go ahead and run with it. What in the actual hell are the Patriots doing? What in the actual hell was the end of that game? I have never in my entire life been so embarrassed by the end of any sporting event ever. My mind, like my jaw was on the floor. I didn't know whether to laugh, yell, throw something. I was in MLB Network studio. I couldn't have a big reaction because we're not really supposed to be watching the football. It's like an unwritten thing. Like everyone is, but we're not really supposed to be. I, I like I got up and walked away, but in my mind, I was running my head through a wall. And then it was funny. And then I wanted to punch something again. And then people started making jokes about it. And then I wanted to punch them. And then you texted me. And you were laughing, so I I got back to laughing too. But the range of emotions that I could not express and that I'm finally getting to express now about the, I'm just going to say it, head scratcher of the year, of the millennium. Like, we don't even need to have an end of year show at this point because the Pats just won the award. Let me just break down. Take it it away. Let me just break it down. Pats, first of all, Terrible job getting anywhere near field goal range. 32 seconds, and you you only get it to your own 45. And they had two timeouts. Just a combination of Matt Patricia conservative play calling, Mac Jones not pushing the ball down the field. That was already really bad. You'd think that the 45-yard line is still Hail Mary territory, but someone asked Belichick about it after the game, and he said, uh, couldn't throw it that far. So uh, I guess Mac Jones just has a noodle attached to his right shoulder at this point. They run a draw play to Ramondre Stevenson, which is like the ultimate, okay, like let's just see if we can catch you totally napping, but it's time for overtime. He gets they covered, covered, did catch him napping. But like, I mean, they're in, they're in freaking, you know, Hail Mary defense, so it's not like he's not going to gain some yards, but he gets about 20. He's going – towards the out-of-bounds marker, also towards the ground at the 32-yard line. Remember that yard line, the 32-yard line of Las Vegas. He laterals it to Jacoby Myers at the 32-yard line. Jacoby Myers decides, I'm going to try to make something of this. I'm going to try to put some English on it. Butter the old Brett. Reverses field, runs eight yards back toward his own end zone, looks up and sees... That pinnacle of athletic achievement, the guy who we know can house one at any time, quarterback Mac Jones, and says, I got to get the ball into the hands of my playmaker. Mac Jones is at his own 45. This is a negative 15-yard attempted lateral across the field. He throws it. It just falls in the lap of Chandler Jones at the 52-yard line, at the opposing 48. It is a negative 12-yard lateral, three yards short of where Mac is. Now you're leaving Mac one-on-one with Chandler Jones. And the best way I can describe it, Kale, is it's like when you see those halftime shows, you get a little clip coming out of the half of when the mascots are out on the field playing against the Peewee kids. And, like, it's the Braves mascot, and he's just running kids over and stiff-arming them into the ground and being really mean about it. 
That's pretty much what the Chandler Jones, Mac Jones one-on-one Oklahoma drill, if you will, panned out to be. Mac Jones pretty much fell on his butt trying to make the tackle, and Chandler Jones just sort of was like, yeah, you get on the ground. That's cool. Runs it in. Game over, season over. They freed us, Kale. They freed us from having to think about the New England Patriots for the rest of the season. All of this is not to mention as well that this is all possible because the Raiders touchdown with 32 seconds left is upheld and we never get a good camera angle of it. Mike Rice tweets out the pool report where he's quoting referee Walt Anderson. The question was, did you have a down the sideline angle to aid you in your review? Anderson says, no, we did not. Probably the best view was what we term a quote high end zone view. TV gave us the most enhanced view that they had. We blew it up and there was nothing that was clear and obvious. We have, I would estimate 80,000 cameras at an NFL game. They're close enough to spot Steve Belichick's nose hairs on the sideline. They've got to make sure they get every cinematic shot of the reaction to every play, but we don't have a camera that can tell us if someone's foot is inbounds in the end zone, the most important place on the field. That's not even part of my head scratcher. The Patriots are a joke. Matt Patricia's a joke. I kind of want to say Mac Jones is a joke because he had some terrible throws today. Jacoby Myers, I love you, but that play was a joke. I'm done. I'm, <laughs> I want to go to bed after that. This is, this is exhausting. First off, bravo on the long description of that. Uh, really setting up the cinematic spectacle that was. Look, they gave they, they put that in my lap. That was what I was born to do. That's what this show is about. That's what my career is about. The, the Patriots just gave me my magnum opus in spite of the fact that I now want to, you know, quit, quit being a fan of the entire franchise and go root for Dan Campbell for the rest of my life. You know it's a bad play when three different guys take the blame Wholeheartedly, <laughs> which which you you neglected to mention this, Jackson. Why did Ramondre Stevenson pitch it in the first place? There's no reason. Just take it to over. Like it, like there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to go with this. Like Matt Patricia didn't need to run the draw. He just needed to kneel. Ramondre Stevenson didn't need to run a draw. He didn't need to pitch it either. Like he could go down. Jacoby Myers. At that point, probably just thinks, like, I don't know if it's, like, not knowing the score, not doing something, but he's now throwing laterals around. Like, he's now trying to make a play. So, like, at some point, I feel like he's the least amount to blame. <laughs> like, if he's just kind That's of – That's some pretty situ- serious mental gymnastics right there, buddy. <laughs> no, because if he's situationally thinking, like, oh, like, are we going rogue? Are we trying to do a lateral play? Like, hey, if there was a bad ball, but who else is around Mac Jones? Or, like, who, who else is around Myers but Mac Jones? So your, think, your, your line of thinking, if you're Jacoby Myers there, is I see Mac Jones no, with 60 I, yards my, between my him and the end logic, zone. I'm, my line of logic is once Ramondre Stevens, Stevenson laterals, Myers is like, oh, we're doing the tip show. Like, we've got to keep this alive. It's an instinct thing. You don't have a guy in your comms. You don't have anything going on. It's just instinct. It's like, oh, we're doing the lateral drill now? Okay, I'm going to try and keep it alive. Keeps it alive to Mac Jones, who then makes maybe one of the worst tackling efforts on Chandler Jones I've ever seen. Sitting back like he's slapping the floor playing Duke basketball, <laughs> about to get cooked by a Kentucky point guard. Like, he is sitting there, heels on the ground, 
like ready to draw, like have a Chandler Jones with a full head of steam ready to come at him. And he's not doing anything to like engage force, like try and make a tackle. He is just thinking, my limp body is going to just get in the way of Chandler Jones and we're going to make a stop. No. It's gonna Chandler work. Jones puts him beneath the earth <laughs> with a stiff arm. Like, but it wasn't like he really didn't have to do much. Like Mac pretty much put himself on the ground. It was that's what I'm saying. Like just just zero defensive effort to be had by Mac Jones as the last line of defense. But like there's so many things that go wrong. In you can't that you can't just like, let Jacoby Myers off like this, Kale. I've got to say, because I know, I know what you're saying. I know that like maybe an instinct flips that oh it's a it's a tip drill play. You have to tell yourself before the play, during the play, whatever it is, that this is a tie game. It is a situation where you plan for the worst, expect the best, but at the absolute like minimum, you do not put yourself in any situation where you might make it a loose ball, fumble, whatever. And also like do the math in your mind. It's Mac Jones, not a good running quarterback with 60 yards and 11 Raiders in the like, end zone. You don't have his Madden ratings up while you're doing this bar. It's like, oh, no, I see a Patriots jersey. That's the play. I will say, I think this is probably, like, as big an indictment on Belichick as there's been in the last – since they beat the Rams. Like, in that stretch where, like, the year before Brady left to now, uh, you know – there's ro- there's been poor roster decisions. There's been the decision to have. Uh, well, how many times a game do we now as, hear? How me, many times a game does somebody say, "Oh, we don't see this out of the Patriots usually"? Like that's four times a game now that the Patriots either get a punt blocked or commit a special season, season penalty. A season of this at this point, it's not a disciplined team. It's not a team that's up on the p's and q's. It's still very much like a well design team and like in some degrees like situationally a well-coached team like Kyle Duggar picking off like he's in curl flat and having the foresight to pick off a screen just because he watched a ton of film like there's still good coaching involved on the like individual basis Belichick has still done a very good job of coaching a defense that doesn't have like a ton of star power outside of Matthew Judon and Devin McCourty like he's built a really really good defense it's just in every other phase of the game, there's been special teams miscues. There's been uh, like a lot of a lot of penalties from this team. There's been like big flubs. He Belichick has completely given up on the offensive side of the ball. Like he said weeks and weeks ago that there was it's it's too late to fix anything offensively. <laughs> like don't hire your buddies to coach the team in the first place, man. Like don't hire your washed so out. Bad head coaching uh, standoffs and, like, give him a second chance. You're not Nick Saban in Alabama doing a, like, oh, now I'm going to hire this guy, be an offensive assistant, or basically launder bad coaches back into the hiring. All those guys are qualified that Saban hires. Bill O'Brien coached offense. Bill O'Brien is going to, I hope and pray from the bottom of my heart, which is a disgusting thing to say, given what's about to come out of my mouth. That Bill O'Brien is the 2023 Patriots offense coordinator. 
I mean, at least he knows offense. At least he's coached offense. So I, I fully agree. I'm fine with that. Like, give me – at this point, give me Cliff Kingsbury. Give me any fired NFL offensive head coach. Just give me somebody who's spent their career thinking about offense. That's all I want from an offensive coordinator. Matt, uh, Vance Joseph really, like, Babe Ruth pointed the – whole Patriots offense in one season. Like the last week's Tuesday morning reading is about as concise and perfect a way I can describe this Patriots offense. Van Joseph did it perfectly. Just saying like it looks like it's coached by a guy that coaches defensive football. Yeah, I mean every it game is, it you is have twelve cowardly for stretches. It is like it is so tepid. It tests nothing. I like it's Mac crazy. Jones, I it's Mac Jones has every reason to get frustrated with this team. And it's, it's every like, game, bro. It's so it, bad. It, it loses a lot of, like, good performances, too. Like, Jacoby Myers coming back from a concussion and, like, I think a dislocated shoulder and, like, had a huge – like, one game-saving catch. Had a poor game other than that. But, like, you could redeem it where it's, like, oh, a big, big play for 30-something yards by Jacoby Myers – that's good. At least, like, when we need him, he comes up clutch. And then he does this. Like, Ramondre Stevens, solid game. Then he does this. Like, you just have to think, man. Like, what could this team be with just, like, I don't know, like, I don't know what the comparison is because, like, there's no, like, a league average offensive coordinator. But what if they just had an offensive coordinator? What would this team be? Because we talk about how doomer, how doomed, how absolutely like shot this Patriot season is from here on out. Like they were a seven, like they were a seven win team. They had a winning record. And we've talked about how disappointed we've been in this team. What would this team be like if they just had a guy calling plays that knows offense? The Indianapolis Colts, Kale, hired Jeff Saturday who's never coached football before in his life, except for high school in, in Georgia to be their head coach. And in doing so, they elevated past game specialist slash assistant QBs coach Parks Frazier to the role of offensive coordinator slash play caller. I would rather have Parks Frazier as my offensive coordinator than I would Matt Patricia. I would rather have the guy pulled up mid season. Who's never had a job close to the level of coordinator, but who has at least spent the year working with the offense and has spent his career building towards an offensive position than the guy who's a failed defensive head coach who got himself a rep as such an awful disciplinarian jagweed that the Detroit Lions are popping bottles in the locker room at the end of the season, not even knowing if or when he's fired yet, just like, get this guy out of my life for a few months at least. So it was literally that story is literally just the free agents, just the free agents pop champagne because they knew they would never have to come back to Detroit and play for Matt Patricia. That's how excited they were. Yeah. That's, that's not the guy I want. That's just not, um, I, I have so many more things I could say about this Pat's team and this Pat's season. And how every game, like I said, there's five things that happen that the announcers are like, oh, the Patriots just don't usually do stuff like this. Now they do. It's the new normal. And also, 
the saddest part is two saddest parts of this. One is that in 15 years, when Jacoby Myers gets referenced, he's going to be referenced tied to that play. Like that's going to be the way Patriots fans, at least casual ones, remember Jacoby Myers. And that sucks because I really like Jacoby Myers. He's, you know, an undrafted guy, classic Belichick pickup, plays his role, turns it into something bigger than anything he ever could have expected with the team. But yeah, that's the only thing people are going to remember. Number two, now we can't laugh about that Jets last second loss on the punt return for a touchdown because this is 10 times worse. Oh, and number three, only two plays have ever ended in regular, only two games have ever ended on lateral plays in regulation in NFL history. One is the Miami miracle in 2018 and the other is this continue. There is, there's not a lot to continue. It, it was so shocking. Like so shocking. The Miami miracle never bothered me because they won the Super Bowl that year. This is one, like, this is the first time I've ever had a Patriots moment to be like, oh, there's no positives to take from this whatsoever. Like, there have been bad losses. There have been, you know, you can look at Super Bowls they have lost and point to Philly specials and Brady fumbles and freaking helmet catches. But this is like the most embarrassing moment in my history as a Pats fan. Like, this is an all-time low. It was really a good release. I'm not even kidding. I, it, <laughs> it was my immediate reaction when I texted you when I saw it. But it's like I was talking to people. Uh, I, I have uh, cousins from the Boston area, and I have cousins that are die Jets fans. And like in talking to both of them, uh, it was it was crazy that at least talking to the Boston guys, how different how different the tone was in two seven win teams last night before either team had played like jets seven wins were like over the moon pumped like knew they had lost some tough games but were very very proud of how the team had done so far this year patriots seven wins are like uh, the sky is fall like this is you know a bad team this is like you know just pretty pathetic like Really, have not earned those seven wins. Like performed way worse than a record. They were in a like they were the seventeen in the playoff picture, and we're like, yeah, we don't deserve to be there. Uh, this this was a release. This was a confirmation of all those things that they had said and we had said, and like the kind of ringing sentiment of the season that just didn't quite have a. Uh, like didn't have any backing because it was like, oh, we're in the playoffs. Oh, we're, you know, technically third place in the AFC. Like we're not that bad. Like this, this is just like thanks for this. Like this is just point positive. I just don't need to prove positive. I don't need to care about this team at all. I can enjoy the Lions and Jaguars fighting for playoff spots. I can enjoy, you know, a, a nice contentious AFC playoff with like Buffalo and Kansas city and Cincinnati. We're like, I'm not that big of like a diehard rooting for Patriots guy anymore. I don't have the same emotional swings, but it was just really nice to know that like, I just don't have to care about this team this year. Like that, like even if they make the playoffs, which their playoff odds drops to like 20 something percent. I'm just so glad to know. It doesn't matter. They won't win anything. I don't care. It's done. 
it's so put to bed and I'm over with it. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing to just have that freedom and that release. I want to be there with you. And I mostly am. I mostly am. Like I, I fully agree that I've like, you know, emotionally detached from this season and that's great. And and all that is good. Um, I didn't want there to be like an embarrassing moment where the entire rest of the football world could laugh at us until forever in the end of time. And the no, thing is, like, I don't know if it's ever going to fix now. I don't know if they're ever going to be like an actual good football team again. So that, that part where, where this is like the nadir of the cliff they've been falling off for the past three years, that part is not encouraging. No, it, ju- it just justifies all the dumb shit that this Patriots team has done this year. Like the spe- like the spending spree of 2021 and like not maximizing the guys you actually spent money on, a la Kendrick Bourne. Like watching your offensive coordinator of 20 years walk away and just absolutely dribbling down your pants, not knowing who to take on as a guy. Uh, instead of getting out of your comfort zone, you hire two buddies who just got cast off from jobs and have, and have neutered the – uh, development of your young quarterback Mac Jones. Uh, he's now getting mad at like teammates. He's he's a worse passer than he was last year. The accuracy was and low turnover rate was a big part of this of his game, and he's completely lost that ability. You're running an absolutely tepid offense. You're wasting uh, one of the last years of Devin McCourty's career. Uh, you're wasting like prime years of some young defensive stars. There's some bright spots in the sense that you're getting like. Kyle Duggar and Josh Uche to like develop more. But outside of that, like you're you're already an old team. And you already have a lot of holes. And you didn't decide to like minimize those holes. You played a gambit and the gambit didn't work. And now you've just like this, they needed a pie, like a pie in the face, step on a rake moment. Where they're just like, we're absolute idiots. Like this is our fault. They needed something to like really kick him in the pants to just break them. Like now they can go in. I don't know if like Kraft and Belichick are on thin ice at all. I don't like, I'm assuming Belichick sticks around uh, like that. He doesn't just retire, but like there should be some sort of like house cleaning. I don't know what they can do. The Bill Belichick, the Bill Belichick that, you know, shipped guys off two years early um, you know, whether that was like a Nick Mangold or, or sorry, Logan Mankins, not Nick Mangold, but he would always get rid of you two years early uh, or the Bill Belichick that cut Jonas Gray a week after his four touchdown game. That guy would have fired Matt Patricia by now. I'm just going to say it. So clearly we're in a very different era of the Bill Belichick tenure. Even if he is sticking around, he's in his like retirement, hire my drinking buddies, hire all my sons, um, just like run this hey, look, how I want no, to run it. He wants to it's win. It's not a defense. nepotism thing, but let's give Steve Belichick credit. He's all good linebackers. So, like Jawan Bentley's taking a big leap doing the transition from like the old like 250 pound run stuffing guys to like a guy like Bentley who still has that framework but can also drop back into coverage, doing good stuff. Mac Wilson. Hey, nepotism doesn't mean the son has to be incompetent. I know, but you can't throw it around. Yeah, let's just hire my sons when he's not like a good linebacker. Like, it would be bad if he was a bad linebacker's coach, but he's a good linebacker's coach. So I'm not just like, you can't throw that one flippantly because he's doing a good job. 
What about Brian Belichick, Kale? You know anything know at all about is. Brian? I don't know who that is. is Brian Belichick is guy? the team's safeties coach. He coaches the safeties. And Jugger's great. So that's sick. Awesome. I don't care. They drafted, like, Duggar, before they, they drafted Duggar before they hired Brian Belichick. I don't care. It's, you're still developing a guy from Lenore Ryan University. He was, hired this se- he was hired this season. And, they're do- and honestly, considering their defense, they're doing a lot of like big nickel stuff. They're doing a lot of three stagey stuff. A lot's falling on Brian's shoulder, so I'll give him credit. I'm just I'm gonna leave my eye on the offensive end because this defense, given the roster, has pretty much exceeded expectations. They're able to pretty much shut down Devontae Adams today. And yeah. the worst tackler on the day was Mac Jones. So I'm fine. Fair. Um we we've got a, like we've almost done a whole podcast on this head scratcher at this point. Uh, and I'll put the Patriot stuff in a can and, and save it for the offseason as much as I pretty much got it all out. But I do have to also acknowledge that there's another head scratcher from today that develops as a whole, and it's officiating. And we could have this conversation twice a year, but the Pats, uh, you know, no overturn on the Keelan Cole touchdown. There's photographs that make it seem like the toe is down out of bounds. Not going to use that as an excuse for the Pats at all because they don't deserve it. But that falls on the same day that the commanders get royally screwed by the officials in the final two minutes where first they get the ball down to the one yard line. Terry McLaurin is seen pointing at the official to make sure he's on the line and the official motions to him, like you got to move up a little bit. So he moves and checks again and the official doesn't really give him a response and then just waits for the play to start and throws the flag and backs them up five yards on what would have been the game-tying touchdown. McLaurin rightfully pissed off about that in the locker room. And then, on fourth down, Curtis Samuel gets mugged in the end zone. No flag for that either. Like, this is just embarrassing stuff from NFL officials. Curtis Samuel was wearing a defensive back like a backpack. Yeah. Like, it was literally the arms. He climbed over him. That it makes, like, the -the over-the-shoulder satchel thing. Like, he's just wearing a person. And I get that, like, there's some human error involved in all this stuff, but believe it or not, the guy who sums this up the best, I think, on Twitter afterwards is Matthew Barry, uh, who says, how is the NFL a multi-multi-billion dollar business, but they won't hire full-time referees and they won't use technology to its full extent? This non-call on Samuel, the fact they called the Raiders TD good, dot, 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 games are being decided by dead wrong calls. I, it's it's a fun juxtaposition to have the World Cup on during football season. It's never happened before. But like football or like soccer has VAR. Like they have a automated system that can help with making calls. Yeah, the system's good. Not, the rules are just bad. <laughs> soccer I, rules, the are rules aren't the rules aren't good either. But like there's something short of robo refs to do here like you can kind of make something that is just like an assist tool for referees in terms of like the rest of like something within the field i don't know uh like but there's got to be some kind of system or technology in place that can like fix one of these problems yeah i don't know if we're ever gonna fix dpi like DPI, OPI stuff is going to get so tough to do forever 
Yeah. Uh, that unless we like even the experiment with reviewing that was a catastrophe, like the worst, the, the I worst. Think also, I think that rule was also just written really poorly. But I think like in terms of like in, inbounds, out of bounds, like you can do stuff in the like I was gonna say you could do stuff in the turf, but now you're getting rid of turf, and I assume that would be harder to do if you just had a pure grass. Well, it's the exact same thing as the VAR system, like the same little thing where that shows the you know, the virtual wall of whether a guy's body part is breaking the wall, like just make the virtual wall and see if the toe is out of bounds or not. It's the exact same technology. I guess, I guess you're right. I guess it is. And it's easier. And it's easier because that out of bounds line isn't changing all the time. It's just, it's just fixed. Yeah. It's like soccer. It has to be what the last defender. Like there's gotta be a way to fix it. Yeah, I mean, we have that. We've had that in tennis for 15 years, where we can tell if a ball bounced on the line or behind it by up to a millimeter and like a, a hundredth of a millimeter. Like this is this is basic stuff that we can fix now with billions of dollars worth of money to throw at it. But I do wonder cool. if if like the drag screws it up because like in a lot of those, it's just like relative position or like a strike point in tennis. I wonder if there is some like larger issue where they haven't decided to implement that or if it's just that we've seen enough of the NFL at this point to figure out that like they don't really optimize for anything. I'm going with the second one. I'm yeah. positive that they could freeze frame and figure out where the toe is at. It may not be 100% perfect, but it's definitely better than what we've got. Again, None of this is to excuse the Patriots. We lambasted them for 20 minutes. They did not deserve to win that football game, but of note that that toe was probably out of bounds. Very weird, awkward transition. What do you think about five and eight Packers against four and nine Rams on Monday Night Football, Kale? Uh, I think that I need Aaron Jones to not get negative four and a half points. Mm. That's what I think. Uh, No, it'll be a cool game. Uh, that's about all I can say about it. Uh, Baker, it'd be it'll be interesting to see what he can do against a good defense with about a week of preparation. Now I'm excited for that. I guess I'm excited to see what Rodgers has in the tank. Like he's been up and down this year. I think they're coming mostly off mostly down, <laughs> mostly down. But like, is there a point where like you're coming off like? They had a bye last week, right? Like, you're coming off a bye. You've got some time to reload and recoup. Rodgers is already banged up. Like, is there any inkling of, like, can he still play a good game? We haven't seen it, honestly. And his contract doesn't suggest he's retiring anytime soon. So, like, I don't know. Like, I'd like some kind of proof positive example of a team with, you know, one really good corner, a couple good safeties, and like a guy like Aaron Donald getting to you. But I just want to see like, does Rogers have a good, like some deep passes left in him? Some like additional rapport with Christian Watson. Now on was hard. Like, do you have any of that in you? Or are you just like kind of shot? And like, let's chalk it back up to 2023. Maybe you can find another, old friends to uh, bring on to the roster, a la Randall Cobb. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Kale, <laughs> this is not, this does not put the Packers in the same category as uh, 
in the catbird seat or control your destiny watch. But the Packers currently have an 11% chance to make the playoffs, according to the New York Times. If they win out, the simulator says there's a 68% chance they make the playoffs if they win out. That would still (laughs) – that's a heavy 32%, but, like, it's not impossible. I mean – if 32% is 32%, you can slice it any way you want. The Packers, if they win out, a statistical model from a reasonably reputable source, depending on how you feel about the New York Times, says there's a 68% chance to make the playoffs if they don't lose any more football games. I'll trust the Times on their sports math. That feels pretty low stakes. Yeah, I mean, it's – and again, like, it, it's the same thing as – the. it could be the reverse of the election needle. It's like – doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's, it's exactly the same debate that we had five, six years ago, whatever it was, but I mean, Rams next week, dolphins in Miami, but Hey, dolphins have lost three in a row home for Minnesota home for Detroit and Minnesota may have nothing to play for by week 17. Who knows? knows? I, I mean, Division clinch. I feel like they've just got to get some pride up at this point, like figure out some reps. Agreed. Now, I need a much more dire fantasy situation than you do, but it is possible, so I will say it. I need Rodgers, Christian Watson, and the Packers defense to outscore Aaron Jones by at least 37. Not looking good, not impossible. We ride. Let's go, Aaron. Yeah, there. You can get there. I see it. Yeah, I mean, you need you need probably two more Watson touchdowns and maybe a Packers, you know, like 12 out of the defense, and it's possible. But we'll see. Next week, very exciting week in the world of football. I will start it how we normally start it, with the schedule, with the price tag scale. There's a doozy. We don't even need to do, like, the whole let's compare four. For the price of, let's call it a scented candle from Target on the clearance aisle, you can go to First Energy Stadium and watch the hometown Cleveland Browns take on the New Orleans Saints for $8. Are you doing it? That's like a month of like ad-supported Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is... You can buy a lot of things at $8. Yeah. I won't buy a football ticket. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas Eve, too. Like, you are wrecking your Christmas Eve if you're going to the Cleveland. No, Browns that's kind of sick. That's kind of sick. Now, I just want to leave <laughs> my family and go to Cleveland. Uh, the next tier up isn't much better either. Jackson, we will still do the compare game for under $40. A. Twenty-five bucks to see Falcons Ravens. B twenty-eight bucks to see Raiders Steelers. C thirty bucks to see Houston Tennessee. Or D seeing Detroit Carolina for thirty-four dollars. I mean, that there's Detroit only one. Carol- it's take that one out. That's the obvious answer. Like it's that's a slam dunk layup. Detroit's okay. gonna make the playoffs. The Panthers might make. That's basically a playoff game, Kale. It is a playoff game. That's a playoff football game. That rule, dude. The big cats are back. Oh boy, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, Detroit, Carolina, 
The big cats are back. Talking about Good. birds and football for too long. Time Good for the for cats them. to reclaim their stake. Take that game out. Throw in forty dollars for uh, Denver, LA on the Nickelodeon game. Uh, that that's a more reasonable choice for the forty dollars and under game. I think the answer, as crazy as this is to say, Atlanta, Baltimore. I think. See, for me, I get it. You'd watch another game of Ritter against a good D. Like and Ritter like should a, be back, hopefully, fingers crossed. Hopefully, begging for it. So, like, you're banking on watching Lamar and, like, an interesting QB prospect. I'd rather watch potential history. So, I'd go Tennessee-Houston because that's chaos. I'd still be pulling for a Tennessee loss because of the Jaguars. But you also get the added benefit of, like, what is Derrick Henry has never rushed for less than 200 yards in the last five Texans games or something along those lines. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just, like, you're either paying for, like, a mildly interesting game or you're paying for potential spectacle, like potential circus. So I'm going circus. You know what? You you are fully within your right to go circus, buddy. Um, I'm glad that we I'm glad that we agree that the answer is not the night game in Pittsburgh, where it'll probably be like seven degrees. Because uh, no, thank you. Cannot do that. All right, what a week of football. We got some emotions out. We got a I'm minute numb, and fifty actually, seconds. So yeah. We got a minute and fifty seconds to wrap up the show. Give me an anecdote. Give me something. Buddy, I've got nothing. Oh, my brain is fried. My brain is fried. What a uh, letdown. I'm gonna cough it out. Oh, no, let's no, let's okay. Give you I had a I had a Christmas party for my family last night. I'll give you the top five uh hors d'oeuvres that were passed around. Number five, pig in a blanket, such a staple, real good crust on that bad boy. Absolutely loved it. Number four, little shumai on the spoons. Banger, you got the sauce in the spoon. You do it in one big slurp. Those are awesome. Number three, buffalo cauliflower. Jackson, it is one of my favorite things. Do not knock it until you try it. I have tried it. I love it. Having it in hors d'oeuvre form is even better because you can go pop, pop, pop. Eat them up. Number two is a prank, but it gets a retrospective uh, because it's good. Someone handed me a blini and a vodka shot. Saying, oh, do you want it? Yeah, that was an order of search only to me and my cousin. Number one, mini Ruben. Mini Ruben pretzel bun, absolute banger. Let's go. Good job. Kale's five appetizers, good shit. For Kale, I'm Jackson. We will see you next Tuesday.